0: (laughs) Thanks, Jordan. (laughs) Um, My my birthday is wildly overshadowed by my my daughter's birthday, which was on Friday. So I always, forever and forever, I will always be just sort of the, oh yeah, it's your birthday too, and that's okay. You know what I mean? I'm excited about my daughter, and she had a like, she just turned eight, and she had a um, kind of a little magical, she had all all this group of our friends who have all different age girls. Uh, the oldest girls were in junior high and they had like a makeup and hair party for all the younger girls who were in this group. And so, you know, I came home, my daughter had like super makeup and just, oh, hey, (laughs) hey. Wow, that's a, that was wonderful. Um, so anyway, she had her birthday, mine got a little overshadowed, that's okay. I am, you know, at 38, you're not really like, man, I really need an awesome party. And it just was like very fun to watch all, all of my, my daughter's, you know, friends at her house and hanging out and stuff like that. So very cool, very glad to be with you guys. If you came back after Easter, you, you, you know, you're at Easter and thought, you know, I like the song, I like what they did, the opener, I liked all that stuff, I thought it was fun. Uh, and you're back here just investigating what's happening this week, I'm so glad that you're here. I know that um, there's a lot of places that you could, you, could, you could go to, to be a part of, see what church is all about. I'm really glad that you're here. Some of you guys are here because you have family members who are uh, involved today in a, our baptism stuff. You're checking that out. And I, I, whatever reason, for whatever reason you're here, I'm so glad. You know, we're, we're, we're re, uh, kind of heading back into the book of Luke, if you've been with us for a while, and we're, this next section of scripture that we're looking at, it falls under this banner of what we call what if." I mean, at Easter, what we talk about is all these pretty outrageous claims of the people who follow Jesus. Jesus himself says some crazy things and does some kind of insane things where he's dead and then he's not all of a sudden. And the people who follow Jesus are like, man, we, this changes everything. And, and if it's true, then it really does change everything. Now, there's some serious implications for the way that we live. And, and uh, my, my buddy Tim, who is a, uh, he's a musician, he, um, he's on tour somewhere right now. I was asking him where he is, and he's like, I don't know. It's somewhere in the Midwest. It's cold. And then I get on a bus and then I drive somewhere else in the Midwest and I have no idea. But he has a song. And in the song it says this: it says, What if I believed in your power? Meaning he's saying this to God, what if I believed in your power and I really lived it? In other words, that there's something that God does in Jesus at Easter that he's done through all of Jesus' life and ministry. And what if it what if I believed it was actually true? And what if I actually lived it? What if it just wasn't something that I sort of heard or learned about? That it was more than academic? What if it was true? Because there's serious implications for our life. I mean, if we just think about just Sundays for a moment, if we just think about church as only this, where we come in and we sit down, and if you really think about it, it's kind of a bizarre occurrence. We come in, we sit down, there's a live band, which we all know the words to all the songs. If you've been here for a while, there's no real surprises there. And then there's there's someone comes and gives a speech, which you hope is not boring. And then some of you are like, I hope it's boring so I can just get my nap that I need for the rest of the day. You're welcome. Uh, and, then, uh, and then lastly, there's kind of this, this, you know, people, you know, shake hands and we eat graham crackers or donuts or everything. We all leave. It's kind of a weird phenomenon. But if that's all that it is, then something else is really missing. Because during this What If series, we're looking at this idea that we actually believe Jesus had something to do with our ordinary life. Not just our life between the hours of, you know, 9 and 10 in your case, or 9 and ten fifteen, or, you know, the sort of Sunday morning gathering. But maybe there's something else going on there. So it's going to be great. I'm really, really glad that, that you're here. I'm glad about what God's going to do in our midst today and throughout the rest of the series. So let's do this. Why don't we pray together and we'll, we'll get into this first week of this, um, this series. So let's pray. Jesus, we are, we're grateful for new life. We're grateful for even the possibility of new life. Father, all of us in some capacity, regardless of how our past couple of days have been, are in need of some kind of impact from you. We need a rethinking about the way things are going. We need a, a whole life renovation in some cases. Some of us, Father, have been brought here by friends. We've been dragged here. Some of us have been anticipating this for a very long time. Others of us don't know why we're here. And others of us, this is our home. And we believe that you do stuff in our midst. And so, Father, we, um, as, we, as we gather each week, we just take a moment in what may be the only sane, still moment of our entire week's. We pause that you might speak to us in a way that is beyond words. And we just receive from you without words from us in the stillness. So God, we just give to you a moment of pause that you might speak to us. Father, we acknowledge that we are not enough on our own, that we need you, that you love us as children, you would hold us close, and that um, it's your intention to shape us into the people you've intended us to be from the very beginning of the world. Thank you for your grace, for the peace that you give to us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. All right, well, like I said, we are in the book of Luke. Luke. It is Luke chapter 5 is where we'll be spending our time. Um, And if you want to, if you brought your own Bible, you can take out your Bible. If you want to follow along in the outlines, a little outline in your bulletin, you might want to take a look at that. If you want to take notes, I'm kind of a furious note taker. If you want to take notes, great. Uh, If you just want to watch the screen, awesome. All that stuff will be provided for you. You can take a look wherever you need to go. So whatever helps you learn. Uh, Let me ask you as you're kind of getting settled and kind of getting everything ready to go. Let me ask you, um, what are some jobs... Uh, for which um, if, if like, you would worry if the person is not qualified. Does that make sense? Like, it really matters. The qualifications really matter. So what are some jobs? Just you guys can actually shout these out to me. What are some jobs? Yeah, go, what's that? Uh, Doctor in unison. (laughs) There are a lot of doctors in this room over here, guys, because they all said it at the same time. What else? Pilot. Pilot. Doctor, pilot. Yes, you don't want a pilot like, I'm not sure what these buttons do. This sure seems like a lot of fun, right? Okay, go, what else? Pastor, Pastor. yeah, yeah, you're out of luck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry <laughs> you're totally out of luck here yeah there are a lot of great churches around here sorry okay what else <laughs> the president the president yes someone laughed out loud over here though that's pretty i don't know what that means okay good what else Fi- whoa are you guys related both of you guys firefighter fireman at the same time bam amazing okay what else teacher. police officer teacher what else lawyer, lawyer. bam in unison Both of you guys have Esquire after your name, don't you, huh? You're both lawyers, I can tell. Good, what else? A bus driver, an air traffic controller. Not just the pilot, the person making sure the pilots don't run into each other. All the unqualified pilots, this is fun. Watch out. Okay, yeah, that. Anybody else? A nurse, good. What is the deal? It's like everybody's in unison in about 12 seats apart from each other. Really bizarre. Anything else? The sheriff, engineer. Yeah, you don't want someone building a bridge like, I think that looks pretty good. Why don't we drive your car across there? You do it. Uh, what are jobs for which you go? It doesn't matter if they're all that qualified. You think of a few. A parent. <laughs> <laughs> parent. That was that was a, the voice too. The tone there was just like <sighs> parent. Yeah. I, amen. Okay. What else? What's that? Oh, a maid. Oh, yeah. You don't care if they're qualified. It's like yeah. You know, is it clean or not clean? Yeah. What school did you go to to learn how to spray Windex? Because I want to see your credentials. Good, what else? That's it? A a par- you don't care if they're qualified? <laughs> <laughs> can you drive fast and put on a band aid? That's all I want to know, yeah. <laughs> how fast can you drive? Yeah. Turn that siren on, let's go. What else? I think the person who like assembles a taco at some place, I'm not like that concerned about how, where they went to school. I mean, you know, or someone who gives me, call. I was a busboy, you know, I didn't, it wasn't, they gave me some training. This is how you hold the tray. This is how you wipe down stuff. That's it. That was all the training I got. There was no one asked me like any credentials I had beyond that. Anything else you can think of? Hair Cashier. Someone said hairstylist. It doesn't matter. They don't need to be trained. Okay. I cut my own hair. I just want to let you know that. Just take a look. You Can't believe it. Can you? I know. Okay. Now, if, I, if, I, if my wife walked up to me and said, can you cut my hair, I immediately would turn on the clippers, and she'd be like, I don't think I, you're qualified. I, I need someone a little more qualified than you, Jeff. But I, actually, I heard a lot of women in our office, so I was asking this question, they were all like, number one, hairstyle. That was the number one thing they needed someone to be qualified in. Everything else, they didn't care. It was like, doctor, doesn't really matter. Hair. I need hair done properly. All right? Now, there are in some ways, by the way, there's, like, there's a couple jobs you just go. Are they still jobs? You've been in a bathroom recently where there's someone who's like a bathroom attendant Who like goes, uh, can I get you a paper towel? You're like, yeah, it's right here. I could also do it. I could just, yes, I'd rather take it from you and then pay you a dollar for the towel. Thank you. Right, there's that kind of person. Like, how'd you get that job? The elevator guy, what floor is it? I don't know how to decipher this code here of all these numbers. Can you help me with that? You know, there's that person too. But there's all kinds of jobs for which they're sort of like, this notion of qualification either does or doesn't matter based on the job that you hold. And the same thing's true in the first century. As Jesus is walking around, there's always a conversation about whether or not he's qualified. There's conversations about who's qualified to do certain things. And this is pretty, pretty typical stuff. So I want you to check this out. We're in in I'm mean, Luke chapter 5, and here's what it says in verse 17. This is the question facing Jesus, essentially. One day, Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. This means that they're from everywhere around there. And the power of the Lord is with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, here's what's happening. Just give you a quick, a quick sort of synopsis. Jesus is ha- gaining this reputation as a teacher and a healer. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, sometimes called the scribes or sometimes called even just the word lawyers, these are people who are de- fiercely dedicated to the law. The Pharisees um, are, are known as people, the word, the word uh, Pharisee actually means perishim is actually a word that means, uh, means uh, separated ones. These are people who are so dedicated to a, such an austere level of righteousness that they've removed themselves from everybody else, fearing that they might be polluted by everybody else's sort of marginal or not that all that righteousness upon them. In fact, what they sometimes described is that their, their job, they said, was to build a fence around the law. So there's 600 plus commandments in the, in the Hebrew Bible, in, the, in the, the, what we call the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They've added like hundreds more to keep themselves from unintentionally you know, violating some of those laws. They're incredibly righteous people. The teachers of the law who are there are people who are highly educated. They're among the smartest people on land. And they not only do they have large sections of scripture memorized, but they also have the commentary on, those, on that scripture memorized as well. They are incredibly intelligent. Their job is to help people learn how to walk in righteousness. Now, these are people who are also, just so you know what's happening, Jesus is teaching in a house. These are people who are seated. Sitting is the position. Now, if the, first, the first audience would have read this and gone, oh, they're sitting down. None of us went, oh, they're sitting down. Here's why. We don't really get it. But teach, sitting is the position of a teacher. And here are the Pharisees and the scribes or the teachers of the law, and they're also sitting. Jesus is teaching, meaning he's sitting, and there's also this group of people who are sitting, which means we don't really want to acknowledge that you are teaching us. Right there is a setup for a showdown that's about to happen later on in this passage. No, but None of us would have probably caught it, but in the context, culturally, people would have been going, oh my gosh, they're not, they're not, they're not standing, they're sitting down, which means they don't respect Jesus as a teacher. And they're wondering... Are you qualified to do this? Are you qualified for whatever it is that you're doing? Can you actually do this? So here they are. They're sitting down. There's this teaching. In verse 18, here's what, here's what happens. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. Let me just tell you what's happening again. So clearly it's not just Jesus and these hyper-righteous like religious folks in the room. There's a crowd building. And the crowd, so you can imagine in a small house you have Jesus who's seated, plus the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes who came from all over the area. And then there's a crowd of people jammed in there along with the host. And then outside the house the crowd is beginning to form and it's mashing up against the door. There's a huge scene. These guys show up with a a man on a mat and they find out that there's a crowd there. Now the word crowd is really important here. The word crowd doesn't just mean there's a lot of people. It means these are people that are unlike the, the sort of slick cosmopolitan urbanites of the, you know, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. These are people who are from the land. The word there in Hebrew, the, describing this group of people is the word amha Aretz. It means people of the land. These are, these are not clean people. These are people who work with animals. These people who work, uh, you know, work in the, they don't, they're not, even by virtue of the fact that they live far away from the temple, they're not participating in the normal worship stuff, so they're kind of stuck out there. And there is a clear, these are the people from whom, the separated ones, the Pharisees, want to be separated out from because they ruin everything. And here they are pressing up against this, this scene here. The, the, these guys show up with a man on a mat and they can't even get in because all of the people of the land are crowding around the whole space. Verse 19, continuing on. When they could not find a way into the house, a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him, lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So imagine, we don't know how far this person has been carried, but there's four guys holding the word literally translates the word mat in greek is actually more like couch so we don't know what that means it could be a mat it could be a stretcher it could be a, a couch but they are walking and they're carrying him along for however far the distance is they get to the thing they hear about jesus who has a reputation they get there there's a massive crowd and they don't know what to do so they decide let's take him up on the roof so they walk up on, however you take a guy laying on a mat up onto a roof is incredibly precarious to begin with right the the in the gospel of mark the way this account is it says that these guys dig a hole in the roof so Jesus is teaching. And you can imagine the debate. Like they're all up on the roof, and it's kind of like, well, where do you think Jesus is underneath our feet? Where do you think should we go? Is he over here? Is he over here? Let's dig right here. No, let's go over there. And they just imagine this kind of thing, and they're all kind of debate. And there's all of these super elite Ivy League educated, you know, PhD people on the on the floor there, sitting next to Jesus. And they got to figure out how to drop this guy in without hurting him, A, because, you know, there's no, like, pulley system to get him down there. How are they going to get him down there? But they pull off the tiles in this case. And you can imagine Jesus teaching, you know. He's like, ah, oh, and the kingdom of God is like, whatever, and da, 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 you know, I'm, whatever. And then all of a sudden, there's like dust coming in his eyes. You know, there's like, you know, what is happening? The sunlight breaks through. And then all of a sudden, there's these guys lowering another dude on a mat right in front of the Pharisees who are trying to keep their distance from people like this. Remember that. So right in front of them and right in front of Jesus, this guy on a mat is lowered right in front of them. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, speaking to the man on the mat, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, did you not see what we're doing here? Because the friends are like, you know, we just brought a paralyzed guy really far. We were kind of hoping for the other miracle or whatever, some other kind of pronouncement over him. Great that his sins are forgiven. Can we get this guy to walk? I mean, you just imagine. That's like, did we? Did he? Did he also? What did we do here? They're all. They're tired and exhausted, looking at their friend. Jesus just goes, "Your sins are forgiven." Wrong miracle. But we're, <laughs> we got. Some of the guys are like, "Do we have to carry him back now? Is that it? We brought him all the way here for this?" You, know, you just don't know what's happening there. And so he says this weird thing: "Your sins are forgiven." Now, what's interesting too is this: we could do a whole message just on the words "their faith." Meaning, there's these. I don't have time for that. But there's, you can just imagine. There's four guys who carry a, carry this man all the way on a mat, and Jesus, recognizing their faith, looks at him and says, "Your sins are forgiven." Ooh. We could do a whole message on that. I have no time. Just be intrigued by that. Okay, here we go. Verse 21. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, "Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone?" Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, "Why are you thinking these things in your heart?" Now, they're looking at Jesus. Remember, the first thing they're thinking is, is he qualified to be a teacher? After all, this is, a, this is a country boy who has, you know, he has kind of suspect birth circumstances. We're not really sure who his dad is. You know, he claims it's the Lord, but okay. You know, there's like kind of that going for him. And he's got, um, and he's, he's raised not in the city. He's raised out on the fringes out in this sort of, this sort of out of this rural area. And he's got this reputation now as a teacher. And the people are like, we're not really sure. All the elite people are kind of going, are you really really qualified to be this teacher? And then he says this thing. Your sins are forgiven? Nobody says that. I mean, there's nobody who's allowed to say that because that's blasphemy. The word blasphemy really literally means stealing God's majesty. In other words, there's a person operating as though whatever God's you know, prerogative, whatever it is that he gets to do, you're taking that on yourself. Forgiveness of sins would be like kind of the number one thing that God gets to do that nobody else gets to do. And so Jesus sees the man lowered in front of him. There's this massive scene and he kind of knows what's happening with these guys who are watching what's going to go on. And he, you know, he's always kind of provoking these guys. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And they think to themselves, well, who can do this except God. He's stealing majesty. You see, I have read it on your outline, but Isaiah 33, 22 says this. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, it's he who will save us. In other words, the only person who gets to find any qualification to mess with the law is the person who makes it. That's God. Are you claiming to be him? You can't be the judge, and this isn't—you don't get to do that. You're just this guy, this kid from this country town. There's no way you get to be that person who gets to make that decision. You're not qualified. Verse twenty-three. He looks at this man, which is easier to say: your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Now, it is easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no immediate observable thing. Your sins are forgiven. Thank you. How do I know? I mean, you know, there's no, you don't have any, you don't, don't, you're not four do not you inches taller or stronger. You don't get to jump higher. You don't, you know, you don't get more money in your bank account. You don't, there's just, your sins are forgiven. It'd be easier to say, I mean, there's, you know, the idea of being able to say your sins are forgiven is itself a crazy statement, but it's easier to say. Jesus is looking at these guys going, what's easier? Sins are forgiven, which is a bigger statement, or get up and walk, which is this crazy miracle. And they have this kind of, you can imagine this internal debate. And here's then where the showdown kind of begins to take its full force. Verse 24. But I want you, Pharisees, scribes, to know that the Son of Man, which is Jesus' authority, this is Jesus' authoritative name he borrows from Daniel chapter 7, he says, has authority on earth to forgive sins, O man. They're looking at him going, do you, can you act as God does? Is there really a way here? If this, this is either a moment of vindication or it's total embarrassment. I mean, you've about, you've wondered about qualifications. What if this guy walks? What if he doesn't? What, you know, if he does, it means this. It's not only his sins are forgiven, but it also validates Jesus. Everything people have been saying about him, he's not just this guy who does these things. He's something more than we ever could have realized. What, if this guy walks, this changes everything. If he doesn't walk, here's what it means. Jesus is a fraud. The Pharisees and the scribes, you guys are right. I'm a fraud. What I'm saying is irrelevant. And everything else I've said, though it might be sort of wonderful, is also false. It's fraudulent. It doesn't. It's not authenticated by myself. See, there's no middle ground here. If this guy gets up and walks, you have to acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. If he doesn't get up and walk, then everything starts to fall apart. The Pharisees are right, or Jesus is right. There's no middle ground here. If he, is he qualified to act as God does? Is he, it is, either it's yes or he's a liar because we're believing that all the fullness of God is in Jesus, and he's doing these things that only God gets to do. Because he can't just be a wise teacher anymore. He can't just be sort of a moralist. He can't be a wonderful spiritual guide. He can't just be an example, and he can't just be a friend. There's more to Jesus than those things. If this guy gets up and walks, it changes everything about everything that ever was about him. See, people worried there would be false people who would show up trying to claim God's prerogative. 1,500 years before Jesus, they're kind of wondering, hey, what do we do if people start showing up and claiming to be a prophet? So this is what God says in Deuteronomy 18. He says this. What, so this is what they, how God answers them. If what, if, if what a, a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that's a message the Lord has not spoken. So that prophet has spoken presumptuously. Don't be alarmed. He's fake. Jesus has put himself in this place. I've just said something. I put myself on the line to say everything else I've said, I'm either the prophet guy that you're looking at or I'm not. Everything is right here. This is the showdown. You can imagine. This is where like the parlor piano player in the western stops playing. You know, the people that are in a fight in a moment stop for a second and look. The cars all stop. Everything's still. The people that are right there in the audience, the, like, the, the, all the Pharisees and the, the scribes and whatever, they're all sitting there. They're quiet. The host is now holding the cups of coffee like waiting to see what happens. Every but the, a whisper comes over the crowd. They want to see what's going to happen. But I want you to know, verse 24, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Get up, take your mat, and go home. Whatever it is that brought you here, whatever it is that took you here, whatever, whether it was uh, something you know, like curiosity that brought you here, maybe you were brought here unwillingly, this is what Jesus is saying to this man, maybe you were brought here by your, your you, you wanted to be next to me, There's not really, you don't give much of a voice here in the story about how this man feels. Whatever it is that brought you here, that you have been laying on, the thing that has kept you in so many respects down, pick it up. The thing that has kept you from the life of walking, whatever it is, the thing you have sat there, whether it's familiar or not, something you've relied upon, that thing that has brought you to this place, to me, you now have mastery over it. Get up. Take that mat and go on home. See, you were intended to walk. He looks at this man. You were not intended to lay there. And though you might have made it comfortable to be in a situation where things like this, may you've made, your friends are great and you may have been as comfortable as possible, but that thing, whatever it is, that enables you to continue to lie down, you no longer need it. It is no longer the thing that has power over you. You are done with that. So he says, stand up. He tells him to stand up. You were intended to walk. Let me just ask you. What is it in your life that you are presently or have been laying on that has become familiar, but that is not the way you were intended to live? What is it that you go, you know, maybe it's an old wound that you keep reliving. Maybe it's a belief about yourself that someone gave to you that is so inaccurate and so, so, um, so warped, but yet it's become a part of your identity that you believed it. You Maybe you've made peace with some part of your life that's actually a very broken peace that's harmful to you, that's damaging to you. Maybe there's a part of your life that lives in that situation and you go, I've been laying on this mat and believing it's fine, but I've just been barely limping along. Maybe I'm not limping at all. Is it an addiction? Is it a secret? Is it a wound? Is it a fear? Is it just a way of being? Have you found a survival instinct that just goes, I just want to, I just want to make it through the next moment? It's all I got. We talked at Easter about the idea about not merely surviving in a resuscitated state, but really actually living in a resurrected kind of state that our lives are one in which are actually given new life because of Jesus. What is it for you? How long do you plan on holding on to that Matt? Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, verse 25, and went home praising God. A man was lowered through a roof. Down into, in, right into the presence of Jesus on this thing, this implement of his own weakness. Jesus looks at the man who has been lowered and clearly he's a paralyzed man. And Jesus looks at him and says this really bizarre thing. Your sins are forgiven. Almost to indicate if we're not totally, you know, in some ways you could say that the paralyzed man himself is a parable for what Jesus wants to do in people's lives. And he looks at the man and he says to him, your sins are forgiven, meaning that the greater thing that needs to be done for all of us in our lives isn't simply that we would have physical healing, but that our whole soul, whatever paralysis has captured our own soul would be healed. Jesus looks at that man and then says, your sins are forgiven. Verse 26. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. Some translations have that they were seized with awe. These people see a man who was lowered in front of Jesus and then raised to walk in a totally new life. He knew a life of laying on a mat. We don't know how long he's been there, but now he walks. It's different. He was lowered and then raised. And the crowd is seized with awe. The word there describing that it's remarkable is the word paradoxal, which means to where we get the word paradox. It means this doesn't belong here. Here's this unqualified person forgiving sins and calling people who are paralyzed to walk. That does not make sense. We don't know how else to put it except to call it a paradox. These two things don't really go together. And yet here's what happens. A man carried up onto a roof is lowered through that roof. And then he is raised to walk in a new life. Carrying the mat that had brought him in there. And he knows, just like everybody else in the room, there's no middle ground. That his life is going to change. It has been changed and will continue to be changed. And there's no better picture of this reality, of a before and after picture of someone's life, than in baptism. It is the picture. A person carried by whatever means to the foot of Jesus who goes... I don't know. I know that I'm tired of just laying on this mat. And so baptism is this picture of lowering into, a, into the water and leaving behind an old self and being raised in a new life. That is the picture. You know, there's like a few things that the church has done throughout the years that sort of mark its, uh, this sort of ritual that has marked it. One of them is when we talk about the Lord's Supper, communion, which we do from time to time in here. And the other one is baptism because it shows the picture of how good God is. It shows the picture of life change. It is, in so many ways, it's the most potent symbol of life change that we have. As followers of Jesus, here's what it means. Then this man is lifted to walk. As followers of Jesus, it, there's this powerful symbol we get in baptism. It isn't something that makes someone a Christian. is isn't someone that, it's not what heals them. It's a symbol of what God has already done. It's what God is up to. It's what God is doing. Baptism isn't just sort of this bland ritual we kind of do. It doesn't, we believe at our church. That baptism is a thing which, is, which illustrates the work that God has already done in your life. And is continuing to do. Here's what it says in Romans 6. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So you have in baptism a lowering of a person into the water and a raising to new life. The word there, actually, in the word it says to live a new life. That word "live," that word actually translated in Greek is the word "walk." It is the word "walk." The intention of people baptized in Jesus is not merely that they would just sort of rethink or that they would have a just barely breathing existence. It's that they would walk differently. Now some of you are in the room and you go, you know, well, I don't, I don't, I, you know, this, this sounds great really great. I wish I would have told some people about this. Some of you are in a place where you go, I was baptized as an infant and I just want to know, does this in any way? Let me just tell you really quickly. Some of, we believe at our church that people who are baptized do so because they choose to do so. It doesn't in any way negate what had been done when someone was baptized as a tiny infant. I was baptized as an infant in a different church denomination. But I didn't choose it. Baptism in no way undermines what has already been done. Your parents, at our church, what we do is what we call baby dedications. In other words, we just say, parents and families and kids, we're going to raise them as part of what Jesus is all about. We don't do infant baptisms. We do baptisms for kids and adults who understand what it means. And in no way does it undermine what has been done before. If you've been baptized before as a tiny baby and it wasn't really your choice, or you didn't understand it, you can be baptized. It's not something you need to do every, every, you know, all the time. You don't have to do it like once a year to like re-up. It's like, you're good. It's something that you do once and it's a symbol of belonging to a community in which you go, my life has been transformed and is still being transformed. You don't get baptized when you're perfect. You get baptized when you're committed to Jesus. That's it. We believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life doing things and the baptism is a symbol of that work. Some of you came today, You're prepared. You have a towel. You have your amphibious, you know, slacks on from chaps or whatever they are or whatever the brand is. And you're going to get in there and you have a wetsuit on underneath your clothes or whatever it is you're going to do. You prepared. You have towels. You have family here. You're going to brunch. You've planned all that stuff. And others of you are like, uh, yeah, that's cool. I can't wait to see that. And some of you are going, I need to do this. I, need to, I Literally, I need, to, I need to do this and I'm going to text some people and the next time they do it, I'm like, no, no, no. Just do it. But my hair my hair will be all ruined. Some of you will say that. Some of, Guys, some of us won't. Sir, i see you over there. You won't, you won't care. Uh, but some of us, we just go, my, my clothes will get wet. What will happen if my clothes get wet? We will give you a towel. We will give you a t-shirt. Someone else here who's wearing two shirts will give you one if you need one. It doesn't matter. You're just going, this is something I got to do. I cannot put this off any longer. This is the preeminent spiritual milestone that we get that marks our life of faith with Jesus. And some of you are going, I need that. It is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to walk with Jesus, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. It's it's a symbol that marks our lives, and we need it. Because what it says is, there was a life that was before, and there's a life that is now after. I want you to see, there's just, as we conclude, you heard Jordan talk earlier about rooted. And one of the traditions we have at the end of rooted is to give people a chance to share their story in a one sentence, before and after picture. Literally, it is like the, it's like the, it's the perfect example of what it looks like to have someone before, they're, before they encounter Jesus or before they meet a, a, a community of people that loves them and what looks like after. It's a perfect picture of what happens in baptism, too. What happens when people meet Jesus and afterwards. So I want you to check this out as our band. We're going to get a chance to sing in a moment, and then I'm going to give you some instructions on how we do baptism, okay? Right, actually, I need them to come forward now, don't I? I kind of screwed that up. Okay, I'm going to do instructions now. we got problems to solve. Okay, here's what's going to happen. If you are someone... Who has decided that this is like you, you prepared, you're the person who has the wetsuit on and the brunch all planned and everything else, you're that person? In a moment, a video is gonna play. I'm gonna want you to come forward and walk over there to that side, too, so to your right, all the way to the far right. Some of you who don't know there's another room over here, you're gonna walk all the way over there, okay? Um, others of you, you're going to think to yourself, should I really do this? Is this crazy? I'm like dressed, I have a cell phone in my pocket, who will I give it to? What do I do? We wanna celebrate with you. We believe this is actually what God is calling you to do. And some of you are like, I need a nudge. This is it. There is no middle ground. He either is or he isn't. Some of you in the room are also people who are going, I'm, I've been investigating Jesus for a long time. I've been curious about him. I'm pretty sure he is who he says he is. And you're now faced with this reality that there is no middle ground. Either he is who he says he is or he isn't. And some of you need to go, I'm choosing Jesus for the first time in my life right now. I don't know what it all means, These people seem like they're pretty normal, except for they got a bathtub on their stage. I don't know what that's about. But maybe you want to consider what it looks like to walk with Jesus for the very first time. And maybe you go, I'm saying yes to Jesus, and I'm jumping in the pool. Not jumping. We'll help you get in. All right? So do this. Let's pray together, and then we'll get a chance to respond together as people live out this symbol. Jesus, we are a group of people convinced that we of one thing. That we do not have all the answers, that we are a work in progress, and that you, Father, do have us in mind, and that you are comfortable with mystery, and you're comfortable with symbol, and you're comfortable with things that we don't fully get, and that you, Jesus, are one who would love us deeply, deeper than we could ever possibly imagine. Father, as we celebrate together this symbol of baptism— We pray that your story would be told in the most simple terms of a before and after of someone lowered in into your presence and raised then to walk in a brand new life. Would that be so evident today? Father, whether we were prepared or not, for some of us, Jesus, we weren't prepared to meet you in a very real way today. We were totally unexpected to meet you and have to make a decision about who you are today. But give us the boldness to believe that it is not about having all the answers. It is about following your word and believing that you are trustworthy and that you have our best. And so, Father, we celebrate together. Whether it's our first time ever saying yes to you, to walking with you, or we're considering baptism, or we're prepared for baptism, we celebrate as a family together today, Jesus. And so, Father, might we celebrate in these stories, in the work that you're doing and continuing to do,